Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hey mamas, before we jump in into this incredible episode, we just want to gently provide a little bit of a content advisory. We will be talking about infant loss and child loss and all the places that that grief brings us. And for you, maybe today's not the day for that message and that narrative, and that's okay. Uh, For those that do feel ready, just know that you can take it in your own pace. You can pause if you need to. You can always revisit it. You get to decide what works best for you and your heart today. Hi, mamas, and welcome back to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It's your host. Last time I said it's our hosts. <laughs> oh, well. Martha and Ashley. Hi, Ashley Ham. So good to see you in your studio. My closet studio. Yeah. It's pretty luxurious. It is luxurious, but the sound is is solid. It sounds beautiful yes. down there. Yes. Um, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I had a good latte this morning, mm-hmm. so I have my energy, and we're, we're getting yeah. through. Do you remember what I said to you when we were talking on the phone? I love you a latte. Yeah. Did you did you hang up on me? You almost hung up on me at that point. It, I did? No, you didn't. No, in my oh, head. Like, Wait, in what? my head, you were almost hung up on me. No, I was like, I would never no, hang up No, you would never do you. that. You would never do that. I, I, was, I was annoyed with myself. Sometimes puns are all I have. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yes, I hear you. Um, Well, I am thrilled to be with you today and every day because you are my life partner in so many ways. (laughs) Yes, Yes, we are. Um, Together forever. uh, We've been talking recently about the topic of grief, um, Mm -hmm. which isn't scary. It can actually be pretty fun if you're us. (laughs) Uh, And we recently spoke with a wonderful professional, um, Jessica, about that. And today we thought it'd be good to continue to have this conversation and have a roundtable about loss. And we have a member of our sisterhood, Aisha Yasino, here with us today. We are so glad you're here, Aisha. Hi, thank you for having me. This is so special to be a part of this discussion, something so near and dear to my heart. And Aisha Mm -hmm. actually plays a role on our editorial team. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. I recently joined the team and it's literally the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, but we you love guys, having you. Yes, it is the best. You guys are awesome. And it's great to be able to to put a little bit, for, pay a little bit forward of what, everything I've received in the, the past couple of years mm-hmm. from the sisterhood. Mm, that's so special. Yeah. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself. It's impossible to kind of like compact it into just a few sentences even that seems just an impossible ask but tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about your journey and your kiddos yeah so um it all kind of started let's say um yeah I mean now I'm like you got me you got you stumped me um I had been married with my husband Andy for about a year and for us having a family was like our dream and we were, we couldn't wait to get started and, and grow our little family. Um, we loved being married and, um, just being the two of us, but yeah, we're very, I was very anxious to, to start a growing a little baby and, uh, you know, being a mom, that was just, it's always been part of, you know, yeah, in my head, um, of my identity. I just, I could not wait. I was a little girl always dreaming about being a mom and, Um, having a big family. I come from a big family. Um, I have three siblings. My husband comes from a big family. He has four siblings. And so it just, and you know, the picture in my head was, when are we going to start having our big family? So um, about a year, maybe a year and a half uh, into our marriage, we found out we were pregnant with our first and it was the absolute best. Um, 
I had a really fun, easy pregnancy, no morning sickness. I just was loving it. You know, my I couldn't wait for my bump to show and I was just, you know, loving every second of it and um everything was going on really well. Um found out we were having a little boy and that was awesome. My husband just, you know, he was just like, I really want a boy, I really want our first to be a boy. So when we found out we were having a boy, that's kind of how we announced it to everybody. Um, and it was just awesome. It was a very special time where we felt really, really good and ready and excited for, you know, what was about to happen. Um, our lives are going to be changed. Um, and so right along around, we had our 20 week ultrasound with the anatomy measurements and everything looked great. Um, we, you know, left that appointment feeling like, I think I even posted it on social media, like I counted my baby's toes and fingers, like everything's looking great. He's growing great. Um, that weekend we chose his name. Um, we had been kind of like toying with a couple of different options, but then like maybe it was like a couple weeks afterwards actually, because it was the day before I actually went into labor that we had decided we're naming him Enzo. Um, I had a little letter board and I wrote it on the letter board. I said, Enzo coming February 3rd. And it was October 12th. The next day, oh, no, it was not October 12th. You know what? I'm getting my story mixed up because it was probably the beginning of October. And the next day I started having pains and I thought they were Braxton Hicks. And I was just like, okay, you know, I've, it was 24 weeks. So I was very early on. I, you know, the last thing on your mind is like labor. Um, first time mom. So really was the last thing on my mind. Um, drank a lot of water. I went to work normal. I was a nanny. So, you know, went about my day normally that night. I started noticing that the pain was a little more consistent kind of started timing it and it was kind of feeling like, okay, these are close together. Um, but still like, it's impossible. Like you, I think I was in some sort of denial, like this can't be labor. Like it's just too soon. Like I, it just, no. So in my, in my brain, I was just like, not, not in labor. I can I tolerate the pain. So it must not be labor. I'm just going to sleep it off and hope that tomorrow it's, feels better. The next day I felt really nervous. Um, the pain kind of still was persisting. I'd have like stretches of time where I didn't have any pain. Um, so I decided to call my um, OBGYN and just say like, hey, can I get checked out? I'm feeling weird. Um, and so they got me in for that morning. I went out to breakfast with my mom and one about my day, I really was trying to put everything, kind of call my brain, call my mind, um, and um, went to the doctor, and um, he, you know, got me prepped. I checked me out, and the first thing that he said was, like, oh, and I'm like, oh, oh that doesn't sound good. Um, he says, you're four centimeters dilated you're in labor. So we need to get you. I'm going to call my friend over at um, Lutheran General Hospital where I delivered Enzo. Um, I'm going to let them know that you're coming. Go straight there. Don't make any stops. Um, let's see if we can slow this down uh, for you. So, you know, you go into shock. I think at that moment I was not really entirely there in my body. Um, you know, I was going through the motions. I was moving. My mom was kind of helping me. Thank God she was there. Um, called Andy, said, hey, I'm going to the hospital. I'm, I'm in labor. So can you meet me there? He was, you know, in the middle. He, we live 45 minutes from the city. He works in the city and he was in a line at, he says he was at the UPS store at a line with a box ready to ship something and <laughs> said he turned right around and went straight to his car and, and drove as fast as he could to, to meet me. 
And in that time, I had gotten to the hospital. I I remember walking. Everything was just so calm. It it felt like slow motion. It felt like it wasn't real. Um, I kept thinking something's going to happen that is going to like make everything better. Like this is, this is kind of scary, but I'm not going to sound out any alarms yet. I'm just going to, you know, hope for the best. Nothing's, you know, nothing's bad going to happen. And so walk up to the desk at labor and delivery and say, hi, I'm Aisha. I'm 24 weeks pregnant. I'm in labor. Um, They told me to come here. And, you know, I'm standing, I'm not even wheeled in anywhere. I'm, I'm just standing there at the desk. And the lady looks at me like, what? I'm like, yeah, like, wait a second, like, kind of goes through some papers, like, come follow me, puts me in this room. Um, and um, it's so crazy what you remember, but I remember it feeling like not the room you would expect to be put in when you're going in labor. It was very small and it it was just it didn't even really have a bed I it was a very not a comfortable or comforting space um and so uh at that point everything starts kind of like go a little bit faster and you're you're you know still kind of not sure what's going on um doctors are coming in introducing themselves kind of going through different scenarios, you're meeting a lot of different people. And um, my water broke in that time. So my husband still hadn't arrived. But as soon as my water broke, I remember feeling relief, like, oh, that felt nice. (laughs) Like, I can take a breath. Um, And then instantly, oh, my gosh, like, what? Now, does that mean my baby's coming? Like, what's happening? And so we were able to slow things down and you learn so much in so little time. Um, But I learned that a baby can stay inside um, for weeks, even if necessary, even if your water breaks. And, um, you know, so you start filling your head with like stories of hope. Like I started researching immediately, like what happens when your water breaks at 40 at 24 weeks? so really at that point, it was just, let's try to keep Enzo comfortable and you comfortable for as long as we can. And, um, you know, my husband had arrived. They moved us to another room that was more comfortable. Um, and that's kind of where we hunkered down for five days. Um, it was five days of a lot of nothing. <laughs> Um, when I look and think about those days, I realize how much I was guarding my heart at that moment. Um, I, there are things that I remember that make me feel very sad, um, and guilty because, um, I think, wow, I never really, in that time, I loved rubbing my belly my whole pregnancy. Even when I didn't have a bump, I'd rub my belly, rub my belly. And in that little five days, I don't think I rubbed my belly once. Um, I didn't ever talk to my baby in that time. I think I was really just trying to um, separate myself from what was going on. um, Because I knew the moment that I let myself feel the present moment that I was living, I would fall apart. And so I was really, I think, just trying to keep myself together. Mm -hmm. And um, the more I didn't think about it, the longer it would maybe prolong like this, this period, um, until it was time to go. And um, that happened super quick. Um, I had to have an emergency C-section because um, Enzo was not in the right position and he was so small so um they told me like kind of as we were rolling into the ur like we're gonna have to do this specific procedure um because of his size um you will never be able to have a vaginal birth again Mm -hmm. um so like you need to know this as 
before we you need to consent to this basically um so at that point you're like okay yeah whatever you need to do like is it gonna save my baby like i i don't care um go for it um and then yeah i mean it was a crazy crazy traumatic um birth because they had to move so fast that the epidural wasn't even really Mm. working when they started the, the operation and so there's a lot of me like feeling very vividly what was going on um and um all I remember is just like again this feeling of like outside of my body like this isn't this isn't happening like how how is this happening right now um he was born I didn't hear him cry he was so little I don't you know they, they had to come over and tell me that he had been born and um, my husband went out to, to went over to see him and um, took some pictures and showed me um, at that point I think I also felt such a relief that he had been born that I a lot of the pain that I had been holding back just kind of like washed over me and so um, the last 15 minutes of the operation, I think I not, I, I blacked out. I don't remember it. Um, I know I was awake, but I have no memory of it. Um, the next memory I have is, um, waking up in like a recovery room, um, a nurse bringing in a pump and saying, Hey, do you want a pump? And I'm like, is my milk even in? Like, what's going on? Can I? produce milk this early on like there's just so many questions and um you know I'm yeah I had just been cut open and I'm just like where where what's going on I'm so disoriented um my family was there my mom was there my husband was there um I think my sisters had also been in the room at that point um they all wanted to be so I mean how do you mm, respond to like your baby being born so early? Like you want to celebrate, you want to say your baby's here. Like some of them got to glance at him. He's so beautiful. He's like so perfect. He's whole. And, um, but then there's also this like, oh my gosh, is he going to make it? Like, this is so, he's so small. He wasn't even, a, I think he was just barely a pound. Um, and, um, you know, I think you remember holding on to so many, um, like little truths that you just want to like keep, uh, for hope. Like, you know, he, he was measuring so much bigger than what he actually is. And all these little things that you just try to hold on to and say like, it's gonna, it's gonna be okay. And, um, and then, you know, I totally was like, okay, um, they brought me a pump. I can do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to focus on what I can do right now to um, make this bearable, really, because if not, what am I doing just sitting here? Um, there's no baby in my tummy anymore. And, you know, my body wasn't prepared for that. Uh, my mind wasn't prepared for that at all. And so you meet the NICU doctor and they come in and they kind of walk you through what they did, you know, they had to intubate him um, and, um, you know, kind of give you a report. None of it you understand. You're just like, okay, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, but I believe you and I trust you that you're taking care of my son. And, um, and then uh, they said, he's doing really good, but lots of preemies, um, the first few hours of their life, um, go through something we call the honeymoon phase where they you know they their bodies are kind of like also maybe the adrenaline of it all I don't you know I don't know medical terms but um they basically told me like he's doing good but we can't tell you that he's gonna continue to do good so if he takes a turn for the worse like don't be surprised it's very common so you're like okay thank you <laughs> and um and then we were moved back to my room. Um, my husband got to go um, to the NICU and be with Enzo for a little bit. I was still not allowed to go because I had just 
had major surgery done and you know, they were very like, no, you have to wait at least 12 hours before you go down to see him. And so I'm trying to do everything to show them like, I'm ready. I'm look at me like I can get up. I can sit up like, let me go see him. But, you know, very strict about no, you can't go yet. Um, and um, the next couple of hours, he was born October 13th at 5.20 p.m. And uh, the next few hours, it was a whole night pretty much. Um, Andy would go down, he'd bring like whatever milk I had extracted. I was like actually extracting a lot of milk and felt so proud of myself that I was like providing this already for him. And he'd show me videos and, you know, I was starting to let myself like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. Like plan ahead. You know, I'd never imagined my journey was going to include this but like what do we have to do I'm going to probably have a lot of time here at the hospital like I should start taking up activities that I can do while I'm here at the NICU and you just start like planning 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 um and then like me and my husband had such sweet sweet moments um in that hospital room where we dreamed and allowed us ourselves to dream and imagine our lives with our son um uh and just really fall in love with him <laughs> and um at around maybe one in the morning none of us like we weren't sleeping we were up and nurses come in and say hey we're gonna take you down to see your son and I'm like, wait a second, like, you guys are the ones that were so strict about me not being able to go down until the morning. What's going on? It's like, no, we're going to go take you down to see your son now. So I'm like, okay. Um, and I knew that something wasn't okay. <laughs> because why the change so abruptly? Um, it's one in the morning. Like, now something is happening. So I remember um praying my whole way down it was like the, the lower level like one level down from where I was and I remember the whole entire time I'm just begging please 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 save my son's life I you know I'll do anything <laughs> you start bartering you start doing all the things you can think of to like um prepare yourself and um we we get to his bedside and the doctor that we had met earlier was talking I was on a wheelchair so it was very hard for me to hear what she was saying to my husband um I couldn't really understand or make out what she was saying but she had been talking to him and then she comes down to me waiting for kind of like my permission for something and I just go what did I don't I didn't hear you and she says is it okay for us to stop trying to resuscitate him and I was just um I was like she you know and she kind of like fumbled and tried to explain like at this point there really isn't any anything else we can do um it, it's it's just the the next thing um is to just let him go and asked me if I would like to hold him for his last breath and I said yes and I held him in my arms um and then they moved us into a room where we can just be with him and um that was I mean that is probably the um that time that I get, was able to spend with me, my husband, and Enzo, I will never, ever forget or take for granted. Um, I studied him. I memorized every little piece of him. Um, you know, it was it was a sacred, sacred time of just us being able to, to be together. We took a million pictures. Um, and prayed over him and um and then we said goodbye
And then you go up to your room and you have to call people to let them know. Um, And you kind of have to relive it a hundred times because every time you tell someone you're going through it all over again and you're experiencing that all over again. Um, So that was really hard. I think telling our moms, both of our moms was second to hardest part of that whole experience was hearing their reactions to um, the news of our loss. Um, And then that's what, that's our, that's my story. That's how I um, became a, a NICU mom, and that's how I became a mom of an angel. Um, it's it's so crazy um, because I feel like ignorance is bliss. I had never thought of the NICU. It was such a far, far away concept for me. Um, and to be thrown into it overnight and then to have experienced loss in the same night, um, it shook my world. It literally turned it upside down. Um, and it was like a curtain had been lifted of like this world that exists, Mm -hmm. um, that I was completely oblivious to before. And so then you start trying to learn how to navigate it Mm -hmm. with literally no, mm, nothing to kind of help you do it. You're just kind of on your own is what the feeling, um, the overwhelming feeling is like, how do I do this? Aisha, um, I, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing about Enzo and this journey. And um, I believe that uh, the powerful thing about what we do in the sisterhood is that by sharing these stories and sharing about their these babies' lives, they live, right? And that's really powerful. And so I feel like very honored that we get to know Enzo for you. Um, so much of, you know, for those who are listening who aren't aware, um, uh, I have a similar story. I had a, my son at 25 weeks. He lived for three days. So there's a lot of things that you brought up in your story that just ring true. And I'm not going to lie, it really, it, it touches a really deep ache, just this kind of, pool within you um and I think you describe it really well it's like all of a sudden it's like you were wearing sunglasses and someone took them off and um the world will never be the same to you and it's really hard it's really hard to describe to people um Mm -hmm. but I I just want to commend you for sharing about it so bravely and vulnerably because um it uh, you, you becomes maybe routine in order to share a little bit about your story, but it doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. easy mm-hmm. either. So yes. thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. You said it too. I mean, this is how I honor his life. This is how he lives on in my life is every opportunity I have to talk about him. I will gladly take because I love talking about him. Right. and remembering him and um, I, I know I don't have like lots of memories to share but they are all I have and so as much as I can stretch those hours out I'm, I want to yeah I wonder if we could talk a little bit about you know what like the first um, few days were like, you know, following. Um, 
and how you started to understand like this term of grief, how it felt in your body and how, how you come to underst- understand what it was like for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, after the shock wears off and you're faced with the reality of what happened, um, after you, uh, I think my husband and I busied ourselves a little bit, Sure, yeah. my husband more than I, um, in like making all of the preparations and, you know, um, getting all the paperwork in order and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So there was a few days of just like, were, um, we were given tasks and we, we checked those. Yeah. Can I just say too, Um, I I feel like one would be surprised by the amount of paperwork that you have to do when a child dies. It's incredible. It's, it's crazy. And yeah, so much work. And in retrospect, we should have given ourselves time to process a little bit more before we jumped into that world of, you know, declaring your child dead and getting all that, you know, stuff sorted out. But but I think it was very much the only thing we could think of doing. Well, we, we couldn't think for ourselves what to do. So we just, whatever people told us to do, we kind of said, okay, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, and so after that initial kind of shock and those days kind of started to cool down and we were just alone, we, we moved into my parents' house. Mm. Um, uh, I, I mean, um, our house was full of all the nursery stuff and all the stuff that we were, you know, saving and getting ready for his arrival. Um, so there was no way we were going back there. And so my parents let us stay. They were amazing. They, you know, gave us their master bedroom and let us, gave us all the comforts. And um, we had privacy, but we also, you know, knew that they were there if we needed anything. Um uh, I entered a, a few weeks of just not doing anything. And um, I was still healing from a, a surgery. Um, I got an infection and all this complication. And then, you know, your milk is still coming in because I had pumped so much to get it started. So then I'm having to tape my breasts so that, you know, milk stopped coming and, and don't take so long I'm in showers. a bunch of fits right. it was so uncomfortable and you just feel I mean it's such an unnatural state of being and you're in so much pain and it's yeah, it, there's just no way um, I think my coping mechanism was compartmentalizing okay I'm gonna you know, right now I have to deal with this. Like, so I'm going to make sure that this is taken care of. And um, I don't want to think about the real thing that's giving me pain. I'm just going to focus on like the physical pain and where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can name that and I can understand why, oh, I'm in pain because I was in surgery. Oh, you know, like my milk is coming in because I was pregnant. Like I could identify the causes of each of those pains but I I couldn't to this day we don't know what happened I don't have answers to why I went into preterm labor and so how can I grieve something that I don't even know why it happened yeah um so those days, weeks, months after, I was just avoiding it. And and just went into like a state of, yeah, just, I want to say like catharsis. Like I just wasn't, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't be. I didn't know how to be. Yeah. Um, and my family was, and my friends and people close to me, I think the greatest thing they could have done was they let me, Yeah, they weren't pressuring me to jump back into life. They weren't, you know, they just really let me lead how I was feeling. 
and take my time to kind of find my footing because um, I think they knew like, I mean, they didn't know how to do it. So I think they were kind of hoping that I would let them know this is what I need. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I needed. So it was a perfect combination of just, everyone's just gonna let this happen Mm -hmm. and be what it is. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was, um, to answer the question, I think the last, those, those days were just me. Yeah. Sleeping a lot. Yep. <laughs> Not wanting to really be part of anything. Yeah. Um, but really just avoiding having to face um, what I had lived. I, I completely identify with that. I think. I remember being like catatonic for probably like mm-hmm. three months. And um, I remember like a big outing for me would be to like go and sit on our patio. Like that would be like my big event of the day. Or like yeah. we started doing like puzzles and that was like, I need to take a break. From doing this <laughs> like t- actually TV watching was hard too. reading. A lot of stuff was hard. Took a lot of energy. Right. It's almost mm-hmm. like, I wonder if you felt this way too about, like you're being born again and so you have to like relearn how to do everything like i had to like relearn mm-hmm. how to drive relearn how to mm-hmm. like shower um some of the basic stuff part of it is the physical change but then yeah just starting from scratch i remember i didn't feel safe driving myself for a long time right yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and you have to rely so much on others mm-hmm. anyway yeah for a, a period of that time um i mean my husband is a rock star because he he held it together for me in so many ways. He had to do things that, oh my gosh, like you, I mean, we'd been married a year and a half. Yeah. So he, he was, he was seeing things, he was doing things that I, my gosh, he, I just can't imagine how that must have been for him yeah. to have to do but he did it and um yeah I mean you just you don't know how to do anything anymore yeah mm-hmm. seriously god bless god bless partners in this situation mm-hmm. right? yeah they become like your yeah. nursemaids and do all of the functional parts of the house you know all of it um they take on so much of it but um mm-hmm. and that's its own form of grief too we could probably have a whole yes. other episode with just our husbands uh-huh. and yeah we'll get them um slushies or something to do that but (laughs) you brought up a really interesting thing which was like um I think centers a lot in what we talk about with grief which is always there's this question of why right so there's like the technical like logistical reason like what what were the sequence of events that made this happen or why did this happen and then also there's like the what I call the cosmic why right like Mm -hmm. why did this happen to me Right. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you grappled with that, because um, that I know is central to understanding grief, like the reasoning of it when there isn't reason. Yes. Yes. Um, So for me, I think the moment I was able to find some sort of peace with not ever having any answers, um, was actually realizing, and it's part of this whole, you know, eyes being open to a reality that is for so many, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. it, it was realizing I'm not, I'm not special because this happened to me. And it's not like, um, I am just this one person who this happens to. And this actually happens way more frequently than we'd like to admit. This is something that a lot of women are silently a lot of the times dealing with. And when I was able to kind of like shift the focus of why did this happen to me to kind of embrace that this is just 
just happens and there isn't a reason necessarily. It's not like I did something that caused it. It's not like I could have done something to stop it. Um, sometimes bad things happen. And again, like we're not special because it happens to us. It is way bigger than us though. And um, I think just being able to open my heart to realizing there is a lot of bad things and, and pain and women who, who go through this. I'm not the only one. I'm not alone in this. Um, I was able to kind of accept it and find some sort of peace with it. Yeah. I don't know if that makes a oh, ton wow. of sense. It almost feels like it shouldn't. It doesn't make it better. (laughs) That's like, that's the thing, right? Or Mm -hmm. it doesn't, doesn't feel, there's maybe a level of comfort to it, but not, Mm -hmm. um, not a correction. There's nothing that could Mm -hmm. correct what happened. Mm -hmm. I think you're really wise though, because like, that's like a core tenant of like the concept of self-compassion is understanding Mm -hmm. that part of humanity is shared. There's a shared experience of suffering. And when you can understand that, you realize how connected you are to other people and then also mm-hmm. how not alone you are. Because mm-hmm. now I look at you, Aisha, and I will remember you for my whole life. And I will remember Enzo for my whole life because of the vulnerability you shared with me. I, and I mean that truthfully. And um, and there is, oh gosh, again, it's not corrective, but it's mm-hmm. meaningful and um, holy maybe, you know, mm-hmm. listen, we started a whole nonprofit about it. So I, yeah. <laughs> I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really just in awe. I could tell how wise you are and how um, to have listened to what your needs were in those early days. I think there's a lot to mm-hmm. be learned from how you handled it, which is you just have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I wrote a lot as a process. Mm. Um, I've always loved just journaling and writing out, you know, what I'm feeling and writing poetry and such. But um, that was a huge part of my healing mm-hmm. journey as well. Because um, many times I couldn't, um, in the moment, put together thoughts or words Mm. to explain what I was going through but when you know you give me pen and paper I can just write and it doesn't have to make sense and um some of the stuff that I wrote I was actually reading some of it in preparation for this and it just uh it's just crazy um how it's been three years but still you start reading and you just get right back into that you know, that person that I was in that moment, Mm. um, because I, I've changed. My grief has changed, um, as time has moved forward. Um, but, um, in those first few months, it was a lot of, like you said, learning how to be a human being again, Mm -hmm. um, learning where you fit in this world that, has changed you have changed your friendships change your dynamics with family members change mm-hmm. because um now there's this big heavy thing right in between um and so um a lot of what I wrote back then was like almost like um, an agenda of like my day like okay where I'm gonna fold clothes I'm gonna do these things that are baby steps um of how to be a functioning human being in a world that you know you keep spinning and um you do eventually have to reintegrate um and so yeah um i i just remember a lot of like okay today i my husband would come home and he'd say what did you do today and i said well i i felt i folded our laundry i did laundry i 
um, I love to bake. So when I was able to bake again was huge. I, I, I baked a pie. Um, and you start to remember pieces that made you because it is so like grief can easily become your identity. You can yeah. easily say like, I'm just a sad person now. Um, I'm a sad person who I, I lost my baby and that can just be me. Um, but slowly as you go through the motions, cause it is going through the motions. You don't feel like you want to do it. You remember, Oh man, I love to bake. This is awesome. I'm, I'm doing something that brings me joy because, um, and it's not connected to this big sad thing that happened to me. And, um, I went on a walk. I sat outside, the sun hit my face and, I really love doing that. And so you find that you're remembering a little bit more of life before and it will never be the same. Um, but it helps you move forward. Um, How did you come to understand what it meant to be a mother, like motherhood? I mean, yeah, that was a big one yeah. because I was told so many times, you are a mom. You are a mom to Enzo. You are already a mom. I remember, so he was born October. A few months later was Mother's Day. Um, and I got so many flowers. And my friends, they're just awesome. Like, my support system was so, so loving and caring of me and wanted to make it a point to let me know, like, you are a mother to Enzo. And we celebrate your motherhood. Um, and it did bring me comfort, but I don't know if I really believed it all. Like, yeah. you know, you, you're not living the motherhood you thought you were going to live. And, um, I think I still, to this day, there are parts of me that struggle with the fact that I wasn't I didn't nurture Enzo and I didn't um you know get to see him like I think um yeah your grief evolves because you're not just losing your child but you're also losing all the things that come with a child that grows and so um it's it's a hard thing to to come to terms with yeah um because it's so uh yeah it's abstract you're yeah you're not physically mothering mm. but the love I think that's probably more where I would say I feel it is the love I have for him is it's I mean I have a daughter now mm. and it's it's that love of your child you it'll never go away you just it, it makes your heart just grow and grow. And every time I think about him, I, I just, there's so much love <laughs> for him. And so in that way, I do believe 100% that yes, that's what being a mom is. It's you forget yourself and you just pour into your, your child. Um, and so, yeah, I think, in that way, that's how I kind of have embraced motherhood yeah. to Enzo. Yeah, that's true. What do, what do you do with um, your beautiful daughter, Ava, who's got great locks of hair? Um, <laughs> what types of things do you do in parenting her and raising her that to honor and remember Enzo? Yes. Oh, we have definitely have made some traditions um, around Enzo and Enzo's birthday. Um, you know, the NICNU nurses, they were awesome as well in making all these little mementos to, to keep and treasure. And we have his footprints and his handprints and pictures they took and the diaper he wore and all these things that we are able to keep in a little box um, that we have kind of uh, and we bring out every year for his birthday. And we also go to an 
apple orchard <laughs> because I think that was, I actually don't know why we decided to do that, but it stuck um, maybe because it was October and it's the activity you do for fall. Um, but um, it's been three years of every year on his birthday, we go to an apple orchard and pick apples and then I make apple pie um, for Enzo and we sing happy birthday to him. And this last year was so special because Ava is starting to become more aware. Mm -hmm. She just turned two, but she knows like um, when we're singing happy birthday, what that means. And mm -hmm. um, she can say his name mm -hmm. um, and we show him pictures of baby Enzo. And I have this little locket with both of their pictures oh, that's so sweet. Um, in it. And she, she opens it and she can say, this is baby Ava and this is baby Enzo. Mm -hmm. Um so that we we are definitely trying to keep his memory alive in in um, in our daughter too, and let her know that she has a brother that's looking out for her, and um, that's so and is a part of her too. Yeah, we do we do something similar. We have a little bear that I had when I had mm -hmm. JP, and so we call we call him JP Bear, and. Oh. Um, uh, Ash is aware of this, but my daughter has actually quite a lot of questions about death and um, uh, things like that. And we had a cat that passed away this year. Oh. And uh, then it was like Easter right away. And um, mm -hmm. we went to church and learned about crucifixion and stuff. And so she, just this morning, she was like, well, when will Nena the cat, the cat come out of the tomb? <laughs> And I was like, that's not how that works. I was like, wow, we've lost some things in translation. So we got to go back to the Ooh. beginning. Yes. It's like not everybody comes out of the tomb. That's just Jesus. But um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting to navigate those things. I think she understands, you know, where does JP live? He lives in heaven. Mm -hmm. You know, when mm -hmm. will we see JP again? Well, when we're in heaven again, you know, next. Mm -hmm. So um, and mm -hmm. again, she just knows his birthday is when she gets ice cream cake. So yeah right there you go right but yeah i think exactly. yeah those are important things to do because it kind of mm -hmm. creates an expectation of talking about it with your with your kids and making them a yeah. meaningful part of your lives yeah 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 and we've always wanted to be open about it and and let her know because he is a part of life and sometimes mommy is going to be sad and i want her to know like it's okay to be sad yeah. and it's okay to miss people and um you know, I, I don't want to hide that from her because it is such a big part of my life. Yeah. yeah. And so it would be, it would feel wrong to, to not yeah. let her be a part of it. Yeah, of course. If you are a longtime listener of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast, or you have found yourself enjoying this episode, we would greatly appreciate a review on iTunes. Reviews on Apple and other platforms help other mamas and friends just like you find our podcast, help boost us so that we are more available and accessible to others, and they let us know that you're loving what you're hearing too. So we love to hear the stories that you're connecting with. We love to hear how the episodes resonate with you, and having that review is a great way for us to get a really tangible feel of how this podcast resonates with your heart. So Aisha, this has been really special to just sit and, and talk about this with you. I think that there's so many mamas listening that will have aha moments of realization. And, oh, I wasn't alone in that feeling or I wasn't alone in that experience. And like you said, that's, that is one of the most formative parts of healing we could have mm -hmm. is community. Mm -hmm. What words of encouragement and advice and support would you give to a mom that is walking fresh into this journey of grief? I always say, give yourself grace, give yourself grace. Um, there's, there's no rule book. Um, just let, don't fight it. Don't fight the, the sadness. Um, I know it can feel very heavy, very overwhelming. You know, it could even feel like you'll never get out of it. Um, but releasing is, it's, it's just so, um, healing really, because you let it kind of move through you. Um, and, um, I spent so much time, um, actually holding it too tight and, um, letting it 
become my identity. Um, And when I realized that I could just kind of let go of it, it didn't mean that I wasn't going to feel sad or that I wasn't going to miss Enzo anymore. It didn't mean that I was moving away from him. Um, I think it's so easy to be afraid of if you let go, you will never have him back. And so you need to keep him close. You need to keep that ache alive Mm -hmm. in you because it's the only way to feel him um but when you surrender you actually invite new ways Mm -hmm. to honor him to remember him Mm -hmm. to make them a part of your story Mm -hmm. and and then it just feels so much lighter Mm -hmm. And that weight is just lifted and you, you can begin to breathe a little bit easier. Um, and it, it's, it's said a lot about grief that it comes in waves and it will come in waves. Yeah. And sometimes it will knock you off your feet and that's okay. It's okay to let those heavy feelings and emotions move through you just always like remember to have your hands open Mm -hmm. though because as soon as you just lock them in then that's when it gets too much to bear yeah that's so wise I know exactly what you mean though Mm -hmm. it's almost it's really it's our way of trying to control it right Mm -hmm. like if I hold Mm -hmm. this right here right? I can control any more pain getting in and the memories Mm -hmm. from getting out. But that's not how the human Mm -hmm. brain or life works at all. Mm -hmm. But if you just know that if you are, you say, okay, I don't have to, for example, for me, I would, I would sit and look through all of his pictures. Mm -hmm. I would force myself to do it because if I didn't do it at these three times a day, then I was a bad mom that I was not honoring his memory. Right. Mm -hmm. But my mom just like took my hand one day and she was like, no, 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 no. He's not in the pictures. Mm-hmm. And she put her hand on my heart and she's like, he's here. right?" So everything that you do, whether it is um, art or business or joy or your future kids, that is them, right? You are doing those things for them. You are living your life and that is them too. As if, you know, and it's, again, if you're a person of faith, as if it's as simple as, like, you could just, like, forget about it. That'll never happen. That's not how our bodies are designed, right? Mm-mm. So I, I think that's a great way. Of, the the image you had of the hands open, that's what it means, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. and the other thing is, you know, we just talked about this on our podcast with the grief expert, but it's not shooting yourself, right? Should. I should do this or I shouldn't do that because you can go either way. But just saying I am, mm. Right. It's, I think that with grief, you have to practice a form of essentialism that you never have before, right? Mm -hmm. And you alluded to this before. It's in your own emotions and how you take care of yourself. It's also in relationships too. So I think that, that would be the only thing that I could add to all of the beautiful wisdom you shared, which is just do what serves you and your family. And Mm -hmm. that means that some relationships will, you'll let go of and some responsibilities you'll let go of, but, um, you know, have faith that, that it will be, you're, you're doing what you need to do to get through. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Aisha, Martha said it already. You are an angel walking the earth. <laughs> you are so lovely and so beautiful. And your heart is, um, Martha said it earlier too. You can tell the, um, the wisdom that you have obtained because you have honored the places of your heart that needed to be honored. And so um, it was felt here in this episode. Um, and to both of you, I want to just say thank you. Um, I think I can speak for the whole sisterhood listening right now that there is the holiness to this episode. And um, 
we just want to honor the courage it takes to share these deep and vulnerable places of your heart and that it is a true gift to be able to um, just sit here and listen and to honor your boys. And this sisterhood is committed to saying their names for the rest of our lives. They will not be forgotten. So to any of our lost mamas listening here today, we hope that you felt heard. We hope that you felt seen. We hope that there were elements of Aisha's and Martha's stories that bring solace to you, that bring comfort to you. Um, And we honor your children today. They will not be forgotten. Um, We have a post on our social media, but we, we refer to your babies as miracles too. Your baby's lives are miraculous, no matter how how short or long they were here on earth. Mm-hmm. And so um, we honor you today. We honor your grief. We honor your healing process. There is no timeline to healing. And um, this sister is committed to walking with you every step of the way. So it is an honor to share this space with you. Um, it's an honor to call you sisters and friends. And uh, we will be back next week. But thank you for going to these deep places with us today. We truly consider it a gift. So we love you, mamas. And we'll catch you back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.